Father God, I pray that you will bless us this afternoon as we look at the second session. And Lord, we are asking for your Holy Spirit to be present, to give us wisdom as we, as we consider our futures, the many single people here. And there are people who are dedicated to finding your will. And Lord, we pray that as they dedicate themselves to that, that you in turn will lead this process. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So my name is Alan Parker. I'm a professor here at Southern in the School of Religion. And uh, we are talking about this afternoon, fit to be tied. Are you fit to be tied with someone for the rest of your life? So we're going to take a look at a couple of aspects. How do you know if this person is the one that God intends for you to marry? Well, you know, I'm a person who does not generally get impressions. I'm a very logical, cognitive person. But I was at Andrews University promoting my program, uh, and I was attending a conference that was called Seeds. And I happened to see this woman walk past, and I felt this strong impression I need to go up to her and encourage her. It wasn't necessarily romantic. It was just this feeling, I have to go up and encourage her. So I was waiting to get the courage. I thought, how am I ever going to find her? There were lots of people there. And then we went to a seminar in the afternoon. And in that seminar in the afternoon, who should be there but the same woman? And so I waited. It was a really boring seminar. It was on youth ministry by somebody who was like 150 years old. <laughs> and I found the, the courage by the end of the seminar to just walk up to her. And all I said was, hi. And she looked at me and she said, hi, and walked off. And, and as she told me later, she thought I was some hick from Texas looking for a wife and kids. <laughs> All I said was, hi, and I don't even have a Texan accent. It's a good South African accent, yes. And so I, I thought, well, that's that. That's why you don't follow impressions, I thought. But that evening, one of my South African friends called me over and said, hey, come have a picnic supper with us, and who should us be but this woman who turned out to be Nicole. And she fortunately did not remember meeting me earlier in the day. It was only months later I said, do you remember a guy who came up and said hi? And she went, "Is that was that you? That was me. And so we started getting to know each other. And the more I found out, I began to say, hey, Lord, you might have something going on here. And uh, she, she didn't know anything. She was clueless because I knew how to hide these things. I'd had 28 years of practice. And so um, I just played it cool. And she had no idea. But I was going, Lord, I wonder. And so that began the process. So what I want to share with you, I want to pick up from that question uh, that Nicole kind of left us with. So how are you going to go through this? She gave us five steps. And I want to give you my perspective on this, especially looking at ministry. And I love this quote from Adventist Home. And it says, I would warn the young who are of marriageable age. Uh, she's not talking about young teenagers. Those who are of marriageable age to make haste slowly in the choice of a companion. The path of married life may appear beautiful and full of happiness, but why may not you be disappointed as thousands of others have been? So, you know, just because you're like, this is great, I can't wait. Now, it's a little different for guys. Uh, you know, my wife talked about how women have been dreaming of their wedding since, uh, you know, they were about five years old. 
And with guys, we, we kind of only figure out after we ask you to marry us that this involves a wedding. <laughs> we're, we're ready to jump straight to other exciting things, but, but there is a wedding in between. And, we, and, and then it's like, oh my, you know how much work a wedding is? And how much, you know, they expect you to do. I thought my job was to stand there and just make it official. But it turns out there's a little bit more that men have to do. So make haste slowly. This was the phrase that went through my mind. And as I was thinking about this, I realized it's a little bit like a fire. Any of you had a fire that was difficult to start? You had that? So I know what you do. You go inside the house and you find some newspapers and you grab those newspapers and you throw it on the fire. And for about three minutes, it looks like you have an amazing fire. Any of you done this? And it's just like whoosh, especially if you get a little excited and you put gas on the newspaper before you throw it on the fire. And then you get a big whoosh. But it only lasts for about three to five minutes and then it dies down. And unfortunately, when we're looking for a partner, many of us are making decisions in the middle of the big whoosh. Uh, and, and a good fire burns slowly. So when Ellen White says, make haste slowly, I recognize the power of building that fire up slowly. So un unfortunately, it took some learning along the way. I remember really liking a girl. I was in South Africa, and there was a girl in Zimbabwe. And uh, I, I'd liked her for a couple of years, just at a distance. And then, you know, unfortunately, she kept having boyfriends. But finally, she was free. And so I found out... And I, I got a ride up to Zimbabwe. A friend of mine was going there. And he dropped me off in this little town. And I got on a bus that looked a little bit like this bus here. And uh, it was a bus it was just towering high with people's luggage. They just crammed us in. And the lady sitting next to me actually had a chicken in a basket. And we were traveling along. And I thought, what sacrifices I'm making for this woman? The bus broke down along the way. And then another bus came, and somehow this full bus managed to cram all of us into the other bus. So now not only did I have the lady with the chicken, but I actually had somebody who felt like they were sitting on my lap. And then there were various people standing, and we were crammed in, and I finally made it to her city. And her, her dad was so excited uh, to greet me, pick me up, he took me back to their house, and I, I told my journey. She was very impressed, the sacrifices I had made. And then uh, the next day, uh, the, the dad said, hey, why don't you guys go and do something? And I think he was trying to marry us off already. So he sent us out. He gave me his pickup truck, and he sent us with, uh, it had a canopy on the back, and he sent us off to the movies. And I was so desperate to go, I went off to the movies. It was something called a drive-in. Any of you know what a drive-in is? So there we parked the back of the pickup truck towards the drive-in. And this is incredible. He had actually put a mattress in the back of this pickup truck and sent his daughter off with me. But it was okay because I was a theology student. So, so there we were watching and it was... It was one of those Free the Whale movies, and Michael Jackson was playing, uh, crooning in the background. I remember looking across at this woman, and it was like there was a halo over her head, and, and there was the soft, faded light all around her. 
And I, I did that typical male move, and I somehow stretched my hand. <laughs> and then I, I just touched the pinky. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And, you know, and, then, and then the pinky slid over the pinky, and she was still like enraptured in me and in the movie. And then my hand slid over her hand. And, and I'm still in the moment. You know, Michael Jackson's still singing. And I look across at her, and I say, will you go out with me. And somehow in that moment, it's like reality came crashing in. It's like the music stopped, the picture frame broke. I was staring at her and I suddenly, I was looking at her and going, wait a minute, I don't know you and you're not as attractive as I remember. <laughs> this was terrible. I was looking at her and, and then mom, she's still looking back at me and the picture is still going, the music's still playing. She's looking back across at me and she says, yes. And I'm looking at her and I'm going, that's, uh, that's, she said, did you hear what I said? I said, yes. And I went, that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> and then she holds my hand tightly and I'm thinking, what have I done? And I hate to say it, but within one day, 24 hours, I had broken up. Ooh. It's amazing I ever got married. What had happened? In that short period of time, I had worked up feelings, and those feelings had disappeared in the same period of time. Now, you add in the movies and the music, and you add it alone at night, and, and you've got all the factors in play. But what had happened, I'd allowed my emotions to short-circuit my brain. And that's what they found. Uh, my wife was talking about earlier when people fall in love, they've actually done brain scans. Like they took people in love and people not in love. And you know your brain is different when you're in love. They, they were able to trace different brain patterns. It was short-circuiting the frontal lobe. And so uh, I, I had no frontal lobe. No wonder I was acting like an idiot. Now, I'm not saying it's an excuse. I'm just saying I had no frontal lobe. And, and this frontal lobe change is like an hourglass. Uh, you've got certain chemicals in your brain and you start the hourglass. And it may take a day like it did for me, a few minutes. It may take a month. It may take a couple of years. But I can guarantee that hourglass of infatuated emotions is not going to last for several decades. It's eventually going to run out. It's a ticking time bomb. And so as that is changing, you have to recognize that there are various phases or stages in love. The first stage is what I've just mentioned, the infatuation stage. This is what we call emotional love. The Greeks called it eros. Then the second stage is bonding, where you're building trust. And then some people go ahead and just get married at this point. But the third stage is awareness. And sometimes that's good. I, I hope that you will not just get married after you've got infatuated and you've bonded. Because the third stage is where you become aware of just what a sinner you are. Because you get into a relationship. I was great as a single person. I was really nice. And then I got into some relationships. Uh, I remember uh, my girlfriend, her dad had given her a brand new car. This was not Nicole. Given her a brand new car. And we had some discussion and I got really upset. And we were washing her car and I said, okay, look, I'm going to pull the car out. But I was kind of angry. And so I accelerated very fast, and there was a wall next to where we were washing the cars, and I ended up scraping the wall and leaving this nice long scrape. 
some reason that relationship never worked out. <laughs> Designed by accident. <laughs> and so uh, if you don't get to the awareness stage, why am I acting this way was a question I had to ask myself. Where did this anger come from? And if you don't have self-awareness, you are not going to do well in relationships. So there's an awareness or there's disillusionment, like this other person is not who I thought they were. And then you reach the next stage, which is collaborating or conflicting. Uh, you're either learning to work together or you're becoming more and more conflicted. And that will either lead to a sense of fairness or bitterness and resentment. And then there's the final stage, which I might call the true love stage, that's sacrificial commitment, agape love. Or you will end up with selfishness where you are just determined, I am going to manipulate the other person to get whatever it is that I want. And then you end up with either loyalty to the marriage or a sense of abandonment. And abandonment can be divorce, but abandonment can also be, I'm just going to shut down and make myself emotionally and physically unavailable in this relationship. If you get married right after number two, boy, you don't know which direction it's going to go. Now, sometimes you're lucky but it would be really good to make haste slowly. Now, I was doing cultural studies, and in cultural studies, we were learning how people went across as missionaries. How many have been student missionaries here? Anyone? Okay, that's awesome. Do you remember student missionaries? Yeah. You go in, and there's a stage where you are getting ready to go into the, into the mission field, and when you get there and you meet people, you start bonding with them. I'm going to call this the W model. Because it kind of describes what happens culturally. There's a bonding phase where you get excited about your destination and you're learning about it. And then you meet the people and it's exciting. When you first get there, you are just on a high. We're going to call this the honeymoon. This is just wonderful. And you build up to the honeymoon. This is great. Now, you, you're thinking of relationships, but remember our missionary analogy. But you spend a little bit of time in this new territory. And after a while, you begin discovering that other people are a little strange. They laugh at jokes that you don't find funny. They uh, talk about things in a different way. They have just a different set of value systems. And what happens here is you have an awareness of difference over time. And this can lead to something culturally that we call culture shock. Any of you heard of this? And you get there and you discover, whoa, I'm way different from these people. And you start feeling homesick for the way things were. And I'm going to use this in relationships. You start feeling heartsick, like... I don't think this other person's for me. I just don't know because I thought they loved the music I love and then they listened to that guy. How can that be? So you, you get heart sick and then you work through that. You know, okay, it's not so bad. We, you get through and you discover oh, they were just temporarily listening to it and they really don't love country music after all. <laughs> And then you become hopeful, like, yes, this can work. And then something else comes up, and then it, you just lose it, and you start realizing this is not going to work. And sometimes the way it works is that two people fall in love, and initially, when you fall in love, you're willing to do anything. I remember my brother falling in love once, and I said, how do you know you're really in love? He said, because if there was a train coming and she was on the tracks, I'd push her out the way, and I'd lie down on those tracks, and I would, I'd let the train roll over me said, wow, that must be love. Three weeks later, they were broken up. And I said, what happened to that whole like train track? And he just told me to shut up. So, 
So there, there's a period of time when you're like totally committed and then you realize the differences and the relationship ends. So, so we move from heart sick sometimes to feeling hopeless. I can't fix the relationship. Sometimes to feeling hostile. I feel manipulated in this relationship. Now, what we discovered in cultural studies that if you keep going, you can learn to adapt to your new environment. How many of you, after you were able to be six months in the mission field, you felt more adapted? Yeah, so what happens even in a relationship, as you spend some years with each other, you begin to adapt to them and at last you can feel at home. Now, of course, most relationships struggle at which two points? Where they have awareness and where they have greater awareness. And at these two points, most people decide to get out of the relationship. And sometimes that's a good thing when you're in a relationship, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But we've also learned that sometimes in relationships, and this is something we're not very good at in our society, you just have to hang in there. And particularly when you're married, you can learn to adapt. And so I encourage you not to think of relationships as a short-term thing, I'll date you while I like you, but a longer-term thing of learning loyalty. Now again, if there's danger signs, you may have to break up. In fact, I, I wish I'd done a seminar uh, this weekend of how to break up nicely. But maybe we'll do that in the future. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Don't call me, I'll call you. <laughs> when you're married. <laughs> so, um, how are you going to go through this process? And my wife mentioned a term that I really like. It's intentional friendship. And intentional friendship, what you're doing is... Uh, you're figuring out when to declare your intentions and you're starting to intentionally find out about this person. So when Nicole and I got interested in each other, uh, the, the way it happened was, I mean, I hadn't said anything at first, but I, I invited her out to a South African potluck on Sabbath. And uh, she agreed to come because, as she told me later, it was free exotic food versus eight to ten bucks in the Andrews cafeteria. So it made sense. So she came out to this, and then everybody is being introduced, and she suddenly realizes she has no good reason for being there other than the fact that I invited her. So she goes and hides behind me. And I'm like, what is she doing? So I turn my shoulder just slightly to, to kind of speak to her, and she leans forward to whisper in my ear. I'm like, what are you doing? And her chin touches my shoulder. In that moment, there is electricity. I was like, what was that? I never said a word. I just kept a straight face. What I didn't know until months later was she felt the same thing. Except what was going through her head was, has it been that long since I touched a guy? <laughs> anyway, it was, there was this moment. And I was like, what is going on, Lord? So I could have made a decision right then. I could have declared intentions. But I had to be careful. And unfortunately, I wasn't the careful one. She was the one who was more cautious. Anyway, I kept this silent. And then uh, we start meeting people. Different people are coming up to us and, uh, and saying hi. And uh, as we're wandering around, I'm saying hi to them. And so they agree, oh, Alan, good to see you. I haven't met your wife yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't either, but I had. <laughs> So she, uh, 
she ends up getting caught up into the crowd. We have a bit of a laugh about it. She gets caught up into the crowd later on and I get caught up and then they come looking for me. Eventually they find me. Uh, with, she comes with her other friend, the South African friend, and, she, uh, and, and they come up and she decides to tell a little joke. And she says, you know, if I were looking for you, I should have just stood up on a chair and said, has anyone seen my husband? And they would have all pointed you out. <laughs> And I went, hmm, fascinating. <laughs> so I started getting really interested, and she started to pick that up. And she put the brakes on. She basically said no. And I was like, you know, I'm going back to Africa. Let's, let's just sign and do this deal right now. And uh, she, was, she was like, what is wrong with this guy? I mean, he must be imbalanced. And I don't know what had gotten over me because I am not like this. I'm the kind of person when I buy a car, I take like three years to decide on it. <laughs> and so she was, she was shocked and I was shocked at myself. And so she recognized, look, something's going on here. And she said, go back to Africa. And we spent like another week or two together at the general conference. She said, go back to Africa. Wouldn't even let me hug her goodbye. She said, go and basically cool down. Um, you know, throw some ice water over yourself. Calm down. And, and then let's see what happens when you're back there and you're a little more rational. And you know what? That was great. That, I'm not at the time, of course. She was really mean and wicked at the time. But it was great later on. Because, because it helped me to think things through. And that's what you need to do. You've got to be careful about declaring your intentions. So I would say, don't do it in the moment. Uh, give yourself some time to cool off and evaluate your feelings. Do more observation. Make sure that this is God's will. Uh, remember, you can never go back to regular friendship after you've declared your intentions. Isn't that true? Once you know a person likes you, it's just not the same after that. Uh, and remember, you're not yet dating. When you, when you let a person know that you're considering this, you're not dating. You're simply exploring whether God is leading the two of you toward marriage. So it's just exploration. Because if you say you're dating, you immediately jump in uh, feet first and you, you don't have time to observe. So uh, a few questions that I want to answer here. What if you, have more, if you like more than one person at the same time? Well, my advice to you is keep it casual. Nobody likes a player. All right? Is that right? No one likes a player. If you don't know yet, don't declare your intentions. Oh, this is so important. Don't date while you're waiting for someone else. Well, I really like that person, but you're here. So let's do this. Uh, that's not fair. Figure out your heart before confusing someone else's. Now, my wife dealt with this earlier, but what about... If you think, what if I don't choose the right one? Is there only one person that God has ordained for me to marry? And I'm going to give a, a nuanced answer here. I certainly believe that God can lead you to the one. But I think that the, the problem is when you say there's just one person out there, there's some problems with that kind of theology, not that God can't have one person in mind for you. Are you understanding the difference? So problems with this theology is it can lead to dissatisfaction when the feelings fade. Well, I thought you were the one, but I liked you back then. And, you know, sometimes you can love a person and not like them. Uh, that happens when you're a parent. You don't like what your kids are doing sometimes, but do you love them any less? No. 
you want them to you want them to grow and to learn you want to change so you can sometimes not like what a person is doing um, and and dislike them in the moment but that doesn't mean you don't love them it tends to rely on signs and providence rather than on character discernment if we have time i'll touch on that later so it, it just tends to look for signs like how am i going to know the one only if there's signs and character is less important and it's dangerous to think that a person is a perfect match when they're actually a sinner just like you. Look, if there's one person out there, then your feeling is, okay, I found the person, this, this relationship is going to be great. But you know what? You still have the power of choice, and so do they. You can mess up a relationship that God has led you into. Isn't that true? So, you know, God sometimes has to say, this could have been the person, but they're not anymore. Can you give God the freedom to do that? You know, and that's what you have to think through. So uh, there are a few things that I would suggest that you be careful of, ways in which we misinterpret God's will. And the first way in which, which we misinterpret God's will is the fleece method. And what we do with this is we say, uh, and my wife referred to it, the red dress. If she's wearing a red dress, I'll know she's the one. I was a, a kid, uh, I, a kid because I was 13 years old, but I was already, I was already thinking, who am I going to marry? And there was a girl at church, so I thought I'd found her. And so I prayed to God. I said, God, I need a sign. I, I, tomorrow, I'm going to be on the way to motorcycle racing with my friend. We're going to be in the back of the car. And if he brings up this girl's name, I'll know that she's the one. And so we're, we're going along in the car. And as we're driving along, I'm, I'm waiting for him to reveal God's will. But he seems a little slow. So I start talking about church. You know, there's no harm in helping God out. But he doesn't get it. Then I talk about the girls at church. And then he goes, oh, by the way, how's that girl that you told me about? And I said, thank you, Jesus. You have revealed your will. <laughs> so the problem with the fleece method is that we can manipulate them. When Gideon used the fleece, it went one way, then the other way. In other words, it was supernatural, not circumstantial. As my wife said, when Rebecca was chosen, it was a sign of character, not a sign of circumstance. So be careful of the fleece method because the devil can use fleeces too. Then there's the friend method. And this is great. I'll just ask my friends and see what they say. But you know what the problem with friends is? Friends tell you what you want to know. You know the guy's a loser, but you don't want to offend your friend. What do you think about him? You know, he's, he's interesting. You got to read that's code word for loser. <laughs> so be careful because friends will tell you what you want to know. There's a better place to go, and that's to go to a godly person who will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Um, other people saying yes, and then your gut feeling saying no, sorry, there are more of them, and their sign is bigger. Be careful of relying on friends. Then there's the feeling method. And the feeling method is how can something that feels so good be wrong? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have had feelings for another person that would have been totally wrong for you? Just give me a show of hands. How many of you have had feelings for, for someone who would have been totally wrong for you? Yeah, feelings are not a good way of testing this out. I remember one girl, she had beautiful red hair 
and she was a bridesmaid at a wedding, and I was doing the wedding as a single young pastor. <laughs> and uh, and after we had done the wedding practice, we were going for a walk along the beach, and she was chatting with me. We were having a great time. And again, you've got to watch that strained hand. But it was after uh, the graduation, and so somehow I was just in a relaxed mode, and my hand somehow straight into her hand. Very dangerous. And uh, so we, we're walking, and I feel these warm, wonderful feelings of like, this person is, is great, I'm bonding with them, it's wonderful. We get back to the house, and everybody's talking, you know, the pastor's holding somebody's hand. And so I, I get back, I'm like, what am I doing? So I let go of her hand, I start chatting to her. I discovered she had completely different values. She was like full-on Pentecostal, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and I was not. And I was like, what? We, and the more we talked, the greater differences we had. And I was like, how did I have such strong feelings for somebody so different from me? Hello, it happens. So you can't trust your feelings. Um, and even when I fell in love with Nicole, I got to admit, I was, I was so romantic. I've got I've to I've go back to this. Isn't this great? I want to walk with you and talk with you and hold you in my arms at night. I want to listen to music with you and watch a candle flicker together and read and pray and watch the stars. I want to warm myself in front of a roaring fire in the middle of winter, snuggled up to you and reading from a favorite book. Hearts. Yeah, hearts. There was nothing in there that had, I want to change diapers with you. And I want to hold your hand while you're giving birth. There was nothing in there, I want to be there with you when you're feeling moody. There was nothing in there about, I want to stay up at night while our kids are teething. Somehow that wasn't in this romantic picture because it was colored by rose-colored glasses about my emotions. And so we have to be careful what the feelings will do. It's, it's an actual email that I sent to her. So romantic. Unrealistic, but so romantic. Then there's the faith method. And in the faith method, you just go, I know God has led us this far. And, and I know he's going to keep leading us. Like, like a guy who had a dream about a, a, a girl on a beach giving him Bible studies. And she had a dream about being on the beach when he came by. And then they both realized that they had dreamed the same dream. And so it must have been of God. God was leading them. And so even when things were falling apart in the relationship... There was just this conviction, God is leading me. But you know what? Faith can easily turn into presumption, particularly when it's leading you over a cliff blindly. Be careful. And then my last method that I, I, I want to be careful of here is what I call the fortune cookie method. You know what fortune cookies are? You break them open, it tells you about your future. <laughs> well, what people do is that they have the same idea. They open their Bibles and they, they look at it like, you know, one person was, was trying to figure out what to do with their future, and they opened the Bible and talked about Egypt. So they said, God must be sending me to Egypt. And then other times, uh, people are, I had one couple where they happened to hear a sermon on a new thing I'm going to do, and they had just read that in their devotions. And then the same text was preached from the front. And they said, God must be leading us. And again, it only lasted two or three weeks, and then it was dissolved. Because this is not how God works. I mean, He can use this, but God wants you to use your head 
and he wants you to use your surrendered heart rather than a circumstantial sign. Everybody f follow this? Yeah. All right, so uh, how are we going to do this? All right, and uh, what we're going to do is we are going to have surrendered prayer. If you looked at what my wife shared earlier, almost every one of her steps had surrendered prayer. If you used to pray twice a day before you were contemplating marriage, how often should you pray when you're contemplating it? Four times. In fact, that's probably not enough for some of us. Uh, get godly advice. Seek people who know you well, who know the other person well. So after Nicole and I had met, I said, all right, I need to calm down. Tell me people who know you well that I can speak to. And she gave me a mentor. She gave me her best friend. She gave me uh, her mother. <laughs> and so I wrote to them. I called them. I said, who is this woman? Tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I got a very interesting response. <laughs> And then she approached people that I knew. But what we started to find out were things, values that we held in common. So we found out about each other and we got godly advice from people. I took Nicole with me to some of my mentors. When she came over to visit me in Africa, I took her across to some good mentors of mine. And uh, they kind of interviewed her and hung out with her. And then I told them, what do you think? And they said, we'll give you the answer this evening. So I'm on tender hooks the whole afternoon. They come back, they have this wrapped gift for me. And I open the gift, and inside is a pair of woolen socks. They said, this is for your cold feet. Hurry up and get married. <laughs> so we did. Uh, Nicole's list, as you heard earlier, was, is he like Jesus? That was character. Is he like me? That was personality. Uh, my list was a little longer, but it covered some similar things. It was, is she in love with Jesus? Similar one. Is she Christ-centered? Is she a good uh, communicator? And she definitely is that. Uh, can we talk about anything? Which we could. Does she resolve conflict well? So even while we were starting to date, I was asking this question. How is she with conflict resolution? Does she love people and ministry? Is she called? And that was one of the characteristics I wanted to know. Is she called to the same kind of ministry I'm called to? And then I'm a guy, so I did ask, is there chemistry? And I, because, you know, I will say, some people have felt obligated to get married. And I know you can make a marriage work that way. But I've also had to counsel some people who got married because, well, I think God led me into it and I just have to get married. But they didn't love that other person. There was zero chemistry. If you cannot possibly imagine going on honeymoon with that person, Probably not a good idea to get married to that person. Definitely not a good idea. All right. So when I had gone through this process, I, I realized, look, this is the one for me. And I sent Nicole the big question. I even had the email was entitled the big question. Will you go out with me? I was ready to take the next step. And Nicole wrote back and said, there's not been enough time. Sorry, no. I was like, oh, cut to the heart. What am I going to do? So I thought, and I'm an intelligent man. And I came back and I said, here's the not so big question. Are you willing to not pursue any other relationship until we are sure of God's leading for us in this relationship? And I said, look, you're, you're over in America and I'm in the United States. If we don't spend time with each other, we'll never know. So we began intentionally getting to know each other on a deeper level, asking some more difficult questions, which I didn't feel like I could have done before I asked the not-so-big question. And then a few weeks later, 
because we were older. This might take you months or years. <laughs> then I asked the big question and I said, are you willing to pursue a relationship and to be committed to each other? And this time she said, yes. Now, the goal of dating courting is to begin the process of growing in love while you prepare for marriage. You observe each other in closer proximity and under greater stress. You can even do what one of, my, uh, one of our friends did, where she deliberately had a flat tire just to see what her boyfriend would do, if he would get mad or if he would be calm. They're married today. <laughs> you love more and therefore you risk more. Physical intimacy, however, needs to be appropriate to the level of commitment and you'll probably feel tension between your desire for each other and your quest for purity. Uh, how many of you have experienced that, who've been in a relationship? Right? There's this tension that goes on. Now, I, I like uh, what Adventist Home says, weigh what? Every sentiment, sentiment and watch every development of, what's that key word? Character in the one with whom you think to link your life destiny. While you may love, do not love blindly. So I said, how am I going to do this? And so here are some strategies I'm going to suggest for dating. And the first strategy is have fun. Some people are so serious in their dating, they forget to have fun. It's okay to have some fun. Christians were not meant to be mule-faced. That's a quote from Steps to Christ. So have fun. But don't go too quickly, especially emotionally. Now this was not Nicola myself, but I did take her on a canoeing trip with a, a church camp out. And we went canoeing and camping for three days. Uh, and I thought, I'm going to see how she does in Africa. In Africa. <laughs> it was beautiful. And uh, so we were able to have fun. We left. But there were people around us. And we were able to therefore keep boundaries because there were other people uh, that we were going on this, on this trip with. And I could see how does she do under adversity and how do I do under adversity. Made one little mistake there, but we... Not a little one. And fortunately, she's never held it against me. But she was cooking. She had taken some uh, potatoes, these little potatoes along, so that we could have supper one night. I was so hungry. So she took the potatoes, and she put them into the campfire. And because she wanted them to cook quickly, she shoved them all the way into the fire, wrapped in tin foil. And uh, so we were waiting, and other people were waiting for their nice large potatoes on the outside of the campfire to get ready. And uh, when they opened theirs, we realized theirs were ready, so we better get ours out. So we pulled out our little potatoes from the middle of the fire, and they were completely black on the outside. And so I was pulling off the black. She went across to get something, I forget, uh, utensils. And then everyone else who I knew, because they were part of my church, they were all joking with me. Oh, yeah. So uh, we see she's brought you burnt offerings. <laughs> And we're all laughing, and then suddenly Nicole appears out of the shadows, and we just all go quiet. <laughs> Ever had that experience? And so she asked me later, and I try and make a joke out of it. I was just digging my grave, you know, and she, that did not go down well. You, I embarrassed her in front of everybody else, but uh, praise the Lord, we can work through anything, amen? <laughs> but go ahead, have fun, learn about each other. Now, something that's really important in order to to control the, emotion, the emotional and the physical side of this is what Nicole mentioned earlier, and I wanted to put in kind of graph fashion now. This is the way most people do relationships. They do intimacy, 
followed by commitment, followed by knowledge. First, I'll hold the hand, and this is how I was trained by whoever trained me. First, you hold the hand. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood, yes. Then, after you've held the hand, then you make a commitment. Will you go out with me? And then you find out about the other person. Do you think that's a really good strategy? Yeah. No. So there's a much better way to do it. And, and it's much better because what happens when you put intimacy first? It's like two pieces of wood that you glue together. Have you ever done this? You glue two pieces of wood and then you try and pull them apart. What happens when you pull them apart? It's messy because part of the previous piece of wood is left on this piece of wood. And when you bond with another person, when you become emotionally and physically intimate, it's very hard to pull those two pieces of wood apart. And I can tell you this. I've had relationships where they broke up and there had been very little emotional or physical intimacy, and we did well in the breakup. And I've had relationships where we were emotionally and physically intimate, and we did terribly in the breakup. So this is something that you want to... Be careful. And the basic idea is, first you find out about the other person, observation. Then in due time you make a commitment, and intimacy follows commitment. So how much intimacy should you have? It depends on the level of your commitment. And the greatest intimacy should be kept for the greatest commitment. Just makes sense. And this process is what leads to less heartbreak. So how do you deal with physical boundaries? Few principles. Don't stay over. Don't stay up late. Set boundaries back from the cliff edge. Keep a strong devotional life. And make sure you keep some strong same-sex friendships. Because these things, when you're involved with other people, you're not just exclusively involved with each other. When you keep the boundaries way back, and, and this will be a radical one for you, but Nicole and I decided that we wouldn't kiss until our wedding day. Because when we had kissed before, that was a slippery slope. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that. We had kissed with other people. And uh, then that was a slippery slope. And so we said, when we get in this relationship, we don't want to kiss because we know what could happen. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that. I will say it was a whole lot easier to keep that living 6,000 miles apart from each other. <laughs> what can you do? So... Um, it's, it's something that you want to pull it back from wherever that slippery slope is for you. Keep those boundaries way back. Now, after you have fun, but you control uh, yourself emotionally, uh, be willing to ask the hard questions. Find out each other's values. Uh, this is what Adventist Home says. Examine carefully to see if your married life would be happy, happy or inharmonious and wretched. Let the questions be raised. Will this union help me heavenward? Will it increase my love for God, number two? And will it enlarge my sphere of influence in this life? If these reflections present no drawback, then notice, in the fear of God, you can move forward. So this idea is, look, examine. Find out where are you headed? Where is this relationship headed? Is this going to be a God-honoring relationship or a relationship that's going to lead to heartache and ruin? Are you in the relationship just because it feels good or because God is leading it? And some of the things Nicole mentioned earlier are things I want to bring up again. Uh, what's their lifestyle and belief system? Are they a committed Christian? Where do they have doubts? Because all of us have doubts. Just where are their doubts? Where do they have convictions and where are they flexible? Are they convicted 
that uh, there's going to be no cheese in the house. And are you a pizzaholic? You're going to have to figure that one out. You know, where are the convictions? Where's the flexible? Are they convicted on, on something you're convicted on, like the Sabbath? Or are they flexible on that? You can keep the Sabbath however you want. How do they relate to diet, music, standards? How do they relate to your family and friends? Is there mutual respect or not? And ultimately, you're looking for this. What is their character like? If, if you don't have good answers to these and you're rushing ahead, you're in trouble. Here are some indications from Adventist Home you should think of. Let a young woman accept as a life companion only one who possesses, what's that first word? Pure, Pure manly traits of character. One who is diligent, aspiring, and honest. One who loves and fears God. That's what you should be looking for. And for a young man in your choice of a wife, study her what? Character. Will she be one who is patient and painstaking? So you should be looking. What is the character like? Now again, I, I want to come back to something I said earlier about how we go through this process. Are you taking God into consideration or doing it your own way? Uh, this is from Letters to Young Lovers, page 39. Marriage is something that will influence and affect your life, both in this world and in the world to come. A sincere Christian will not advance his plans in this direction without the knowledge that God approves his course. He will not want to choose for himself, but will feel that God must choose for him. We are not to please ourselves, for Christ please not himself. You know, everywhere else we say, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Except when it comes to dating. It doesn't work that way, right? Christ please not himself. Now, she clarifies, I would not be understood to mean that anyone is to marry one whom he does not love. This would be sin. So uh, you don't have to marry someone just because they have a conviction uh, that you should. I had a, a girl who came up to me. She was convinced that God had told her that I was to be your husband. I said, how did you reach this understanding? She said, because a bee flew in the window right when I was praying. And in her culture, a bee flying in was a sign of good fortune. And so this was a symbol that I was to be the one who was to marry her. That and the fact that some evil person had taken out an email address and was emailing her as if he was me and was telling her wonderful things that she wanted to hear. So a really nasty guy when I get to heaven. Well, I guess he won't be there. All right. So maybe God forgave him. I'll have to do the same in heaven. All right. Uh, look at their personality and perspectives. Are they introverted or extroverted? My wife referred to that. Do they love the party or do they love the books? Uh, where are the energy levels? Are they go, 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 let's go. Every day is a new day. Woo! By the way, I did discover a difference between my wife and myself. When I wake up in the morning, I tend to be, good morning, Lord. Woo! What a wonderful day. That was not so popular for my wife. <laughs> But at night, she would wake up, and I would be like a zombie. I am going to bed now. And so we had to get used to some of these differences. They're not necessarily bad, but you have to ask, can I live with them or not? Uh, what are their habits and hobbies? Do you share anything in common? What is it that you like to do together? Uh, you know, and some habits, just live with it. Which way the toilet paper roll goes, not a big deal. Whether you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle or the end, it's not a big deal. Just buy different toothpaste tubes. 
you know, you can figure some things out, but some are really important habits and you need to know about them. Ideals for marriage. What do they think marriage is? Uh, what's their life calling? Uh, we had a couple who broke up because he was committed to going into the mission field and she was not. Uh, what are their organizational skills? How are you going to live with those differences? Are they risk takers or not? Uh, what are their cultural differences, including things like when, what time do you go to church? We never even discussed that when we were dating, but when we got married, I discovered her family was never at church on time. That's just something they never did. And if I try to get to church on time in her family, if you were rushing to get to church, it was always stressful. So if I started rushing to get to church, what happened? It triggered the past and it was like, oh no, we're going to have a really stressful day. So uh, you've got to figure that out because suddenly, especially when we had one car, we had to negotiate. And sometimes I could be really unsympathetic. And I would be in the car waiting, like, where is everybody? And then one day she said to me, you know, we'd actually get out of the door faster if you helped with the kids instead of sitting in the car. Wow, you're right. <laughs> Uh, some people, uh, they are pessimists and some are optimists. How do you see things? Some are really neat and some people, it looks like a bomb blew up in their room. Where's everything? I think it's under the third pile under the left sock. You know? um, uh, some people are always talking and some people are really silent. And initially, it's so great. You know what? I just love being with you because... You know, I, I'm not a big talker, but you talk all the time, and it's great. And she's thinking, he's such a great listener. I just keep talking. He loves listening. And then after a while, when they're married, it's like, would she ever keep quiet? And she's saying, why doesn't he ever share his thoughts? So how are you going to work through that? Some people are more passive, just kind of relaxed. Other people are more aggressive. Let's get out there. There's a job to do. Let's get it done. Some people are intellectual professors, like, let's think about that. That's a very interesting thought. I, I've got to process that. And other people are like, life is a dance. This is beautiful. Let's go out and dance in the rain. It will be wet. We'll come back in. Our clothes will be wet. Uh, we will have to dry off. This is not a good idea. <laughs> Some are organizers. And again, this kind of fits in with that very organized, and others are free spirits. So I want to end off our session by talking about some tools that you can use that will help you through this process. And if I get a few minutes here, I'll tell you the end of our story. So uh, this book, we use Getting to Really Know Your Life Made to Be. It has great questions. Uh, it were questions like, uh, if you were to buy a gift for your father, what would it be? If you were to spend money on my dad, how much would you spend? And it had things like, our children, one day, what do we want to make sure that we don't pass along to those kids? Uh, what, are, what are some ways in which we would want our home to be different from our parents' home? Really great questions. Fortunately, it's out of print, and we're planning on doing a new set of questions on it. You can buy them for like $30. They were originally $3. So uh, don't buy that book anymore. Next one, <laughs> 101 questions to ask before you get engaged. Uh, that's, a, that's a good one, reflective questions. If you really want to go for a big one, 1,001 questions to ask before you get married. That one's not a Christian book, however. It just has a, it's from the uh, Ladies' Home Journal or something, and, and it has those questions. Your goal is not to get someone who's exactly like you, but to find someone who shares your core 
values and who complements you. So um, I'm going to see if I can wrap this up in a few minutes. One thing I have to warn you about is overanalyzing. People who go to seminars like you get into relationships and then you ruin them because all you do is ask questions and think about it. I love this quote. I even overanalyze the fact that I overanalyze. <laughs> Stop spending so much time in the future instead of the present. Uh, you know, this relationship will blossom in its time. Have you ever tried pulling rose leaves, rose petals open to see the, what the full rose would look like? You'll mess it up. You just destroy the rose. You've got to give it time to develop. Live in the present and not just the future. And then uh, I will end on this one. Don't ignore the danger signs. Don't ignore the danger signs. Uh, and here are some that I really want you to be aware of. Where they only have a casual interest in God, uh, that's not a good sign. Where they blame others and don't take responsibility, really bad sign. Where they don't have a good work ethic. Uh, if they don't work, it won't work for you. Where they are resentful or jealous. The Bible has a lot about the danger of resentment and jealousy. Where they push sexual boundaries. Uh, if they want to have all of you now, but only give you a part of themselves in terms of commitment, they're giving you a bad deal. Uh, where they're angry and or manipulative. You think it's bad now, wait till you're married. And where they lie. Because trust is built on truth. And love is built on trust. So if you can't, if you can't trust them, then that's a real problem. And if you think it'll get better in marriage, it does not. So I'm going to, I'm going to recommend that you follow God's way. And there's some great books. I'll let you... I'll, I'll, these are two ones that I would recommend. I'll let you continue this, The Sacred Search by Gary Thomas and the love of your, Finding the Love of Your Life by Neil Clark Warren are two good books. But I want to tell you the end of the story. Sorry, I'll leave that up. I want to tell you the end of the story. And the end of the story is, Nicole came over to Africa. My mentor said, go ahead. And so I planned a candlelit walk. Now, this is not actually her. We couldn't get the dress. <laughs> but uh, we did plan. I, I planned out a special surprise. She didn't know it was coming. I'd asked her parents. But uh, she knew something was coming. She didn't know when. And uh, so we were going to a friend's house, and she was totally surprised. Um, and I'd had them lay everything else. We had uh, a candlelit walk into, um, into a heart-shaped set of candles. And when we got, went there, I had a Bible that I'd bought where I had 1 Corinthians 13 outlined. And, uh, and I'd written out my proposal. And I, I, I put in that proposal the ways in which I was going to love her. And then, and uh, the music was playing. All of our friends left. Bye, bye, bye. She says, where are they going? And then she saw these candles and she realized. And I took her in and I knelt down and I asked her to marry me. And there were tears in her eyes and she said yes. And then after she had said yes, I took out a coin and said, no, you're supposed to flip this coin. Had yes on the one side and no on the other side. And she flipped the coin, but I think I had it weighted just right because it fell on yes. So I married him. <laughs> and we sat down and we recognized as we, we had gone through this process that God had put this together. 
And what I want for each one of you, it's, it's not perfect. Marriage is not perfect because marriage is part of the crucible of character development. But what I want for each one of you is the opportunity to let God lead in your life. Will you do that for me? Yeah. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm asking that you give us courage to follow you. Courage to do it your way. Haste makes waste. Help us to slow down. Help us to get the counsel. Help us to surrender this relationship to you. And Lord, some today are wondering, when will my time come? And what I know is, you have a plan. May we trust to your plan. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.